0: This is Remote Ruby.
1: Have you any remote ideas to the meaning of the word?
2: Andrew, I don't know your middle name, Mason. Good. That's how I feel about that. Jason Michael Jarns. Dang it. Busted. Busted. I heard your wife call you that one day. (laughs) Yikes. Well, ready to chat while
3: Chris and Brooke are either in the Chicago airport or mm-hmm. one of the Chicago airports or on their way to Italy.
2: Well, at least we're here. We're, we're here. here. Not
3: Italy. Not soaking it up in the, I was going to say it's not wine. Italian sun, but, I, uh, but they're in a plane. So soaking it up in
2: the plane. Well, we've the, got something else to soak up today, right? I'm moving us on from this, wherever you're going with that. Why? Do you not trust me? No, I didn't think you were going to land it. Yikes. So that you do trust me. All right. Well,
3: enough about us today. I am thrilled because we have a topic today that actually probably affects a lot of Ruby developers. And I'm sure a lot of people understand a lot about it. I would like to learn more about it, though. And so today we're going to talk with Takashi Kokuban about... JIT just in time compilers in Ruby. So, Takashi, thank you for coming on Remote Ruby and hanging out with us today.
0: Hey, yeah, I'm nested yeah, being
3: here. So, I want to maybe back up. There's in the last five, six years, JIT's become a popular term in Ruby, or at least a familiar term. You, if I'm not mistaken, did work on the original MJIT, correct? Yep. So before we maybe talk about how we got there, would you mind describing what a JIT compiler is and why we would want to use one in Ruby?
0: So first of all, Ruby internally has a compiler that compiles a uh, Ruby. So first of all, it parses Ruby into a syntax tree, and then the syntax tree is then compiled to bytecode that's specific to Ruby virtual machine. So virtual machine has, for example, inst- instructions like put object and then plus and then leave that return. So like if you have a one plus two method, then the bytecode looks like put object one, put object two, and then those objects are pushed to the virtual machine stack. And then plus the instruction will then pop those two inst- objects from the stack and then calculate the result and then push that back again. And then return leave instruction will return that object from the method to the caller. So that's how interpreter works. But then the problem with that is you have to kind of obstacle away the like, Ruby virtual specific implementation from the compiler. So the bytecode is like just some random bytes on the memory and compiler cannot optimize that well. However, let's say you know that the plus instruction is going to have one plus two, then the compiler could know the result is going to be three if it's already known. So the thing we could do in the interpreter, one idea is that we could add an instruction that says put this and then plus, which is like combining multiple things. And then that instruction could do more things optimizing that, like if the argument is known to be an integer, then you don't need to check that type of those objects. And then if you already know that, plus the instruction, is not redefined and then if it's redefined we are going to expire this instruction then you could ignore the redefinition check or the method dispatch could be ignored in that combined instruction the problem however is that we cannot add those kind of combined instruction for every single operation for every single method so like there's infinite things we could do for optimizing the interpreter but if you keep adding those instructions to the interpreter, it's not maintainable. You have to duplicate every single implementation in the virtual machine implementation. So the thing, ideally, we want to keep adding those instructions for every single method. So like we could dynamically generate those instructions at runtime. That's what JIT compiler do, in my opinion. JIT compiler could look at the method and then see that, there's a put object put object plus, then we are going to generate a specific code that's tailored towards this specific method. Then we can do a lot of things that virtual machine cannot do because virtual machine is designed like it can be kind of maintainable. So like we don't really combine those instructions because if you do that, it is too complicated. The virtual machine, the way it works is like you have a lot of instructions. As I say, there's virtual machine stack. But to make it work across different instructions, you have to make it just a pointer on the heap, And then instruction is going to read the memory and then operate on multiple things based on the stack pointer. However, this compiler could f- instead do something like read this stack pointer first, and then do something based on that on the compile time. And then after calculating the offset from the compile compiled time stack pointer, We do that without reading the memory on runtime. So JIT compiler could skip reading the memory for those operations because, as I said, we could expire the compiled code at runtime. We could skip some checks like method redefinition, which happens all the time in Ruby. And type chips is also expensive because everything in Ruby is a method call. So you have to do type check and the method dispatch, but that kind of thing could be also removed if you combine those things and also allow the interpreter to remove the instruction after something happens. So that way you can do cross instruction optimization plus runtime code patching is very important for allowing those kinds of optimization, which is why you want to use it for the optimal performance delivery. That makes sense. So
3: if I'm not mistaken, the JIT came about kind of as the Ruby three times three push, correct? When we were, Matt's at RubyConf 2015 said, want to make the goal for Ruby 3.0 is to be three times faster than 2.0. Yep. So the first JIT compiler we got was MJIT. Yep. And I'm curious, were you there at the beginning of MJIT?
0: So I became a Ruby committer like in 2004. 14 or so. And then at that time, I was already a Ruby committer And then the time when the community was merged I, as a thing is, I think, 2016. So really 2.6 was the version that was merged. And I was a uh, Ruby connector as a maintainer of ERB. So still, it's kind of like a compiler. I'm into that kind of stuff. And also I became an ERB maintainer as a person to optimize the ERV. I'm not really into like extending the syntax. I'm also a maintainer of Hamo and Slim, but I'm maybe optimizing those things. So through that experience, I did a lot of Ruby level optimizations. Like we changed the way to concatenate the strings in the template engine. So that's going to be optimal in the Ruby virtual machine. However, as I keep doing that, it's so I had framework. I maintain that temperate engine framework called Temple, which is used by Hamo and Slim, and it does something like a compiler. So it optimizes intermediate reputation specific to temperature engines, and then Compile that into a more optimal Ruby code. However, I thought that if there's a compiler that do that kind of stuff on already have instead of like letting developers do that kind of stuff, then we don't need to spend time doing that at all. So I wanted to solve that bigger problem. And then I started working on this compiler that is not MJ at first. So that was called Edit RB. That was a JIT compiler that uses Editor VM. Edit VM is a technology behind like languages like that. So C language is also Grand compiler uses it, Swift uses it, Rust uses it. So that kind of thing. So I started using edited VM for building Ruby compiler, and then I presented that Ruby ID. But at the same time, in the same year, another guy came up and said, we thought about a way to introduce a JIT compiler to Ruby, and that was the idea of Imjid. So that person was called Bradby Makarov, and she proposed to Replace both the interpreter and the intermediate JIT compiler. The current interpreter was designed in Ruby 1.9, which is designed by Koichi, and that was called Yar virtual Machine. And Bradmere, on the other hand, proposed to replace the JIT the virtual machine because it's kind of useful for developing a JIT compiler. You could build an interpreter that's more friendly to developing JIT compiler. So that's his design. However, Combining interpreter and the JIT compiler, it's actually faster than the interpreter, the original interpreter, but the interpreter alone isn't really faster than the original interpreter. So I was kind of against that because many people are still using the interpreter and like there's a lot of hurdle to make it stabler and also migrate people to using the compiler. So for at least a short midterm, I wanted to keep the interpreter's performance. So then what I did was we write the MJIT compiler from scratch, supporting the stack based the original interpreter, which written by Koichi, and then with the another JIT compiler that works like an or original MJIT, in the sense that it uses a sync compiler to generate the machine code, but that supports the current interpreter. And also, because the experience of developing LRB kind of helped it, because the LRB was also based on the original interpreter. So I knew how to deal with a stack-based operation and compile that to another machine code. So that's how the MJIT that was merged to Ruby 2.6 came out. So like another person proposed the idea to generate machine code in C. I didn't like the interpreter removals or replacement, so I kind of rewrote the whole thing. And then I kept maintaining that for five years.
2: I like how you just casually said, oh, I just rewrote the MJIT compiler. <laughs>
0: Was it hard? I assume that wasn't easy. Well, yeah, but like I already knew that how every like instruction works, so like I think it was like one or two months to you know the whole thing. So like it wasn't easy, but at the same time, I already had experience doing that by did like, with me Ruby. So it's not too hard either. And you said it was Ruby two six that MCHIT?
3: Well, yeah. In. What year was that? Twenty sixteen. Okay, twenty sixteen. So. It's 2016. so what kind of performance gains in Ruby 2.6 did you kind of see on average? I know that depends based on the application, but on average, what could you see using ImageNet in production? So in
0: production, I'd say it's, I assume that the production generally means like Rails applications. And then as of 2.6, we are actually mostly slowing down those kind of workloads, unfortunately. I then learned that, like, years later, I learned why that happened and figured out how to fix it. But as of the release of 2.6, that was actually slower in my experience. And the things that the, like, Image was focusing on was a different benchmark, which is called OptCarry. That is a Nintendo Famicom emulator written by another Ruby Computer. And then when Matt announced the Ruby 3.3 project and the author of the Opticare benchmark stepped up to announce that benchmark. And because she was also kind of famous in the community, that was widely accepted by the community. And then like we were kind of working towards optimizing that benchmark. And then MG2 was specifically designed well for optimizing the benchmark, which I guess kind of contributed to merging that to the compiler. But at the same time, MGT was not really good for optimizing Rails applications. So until YGT came out, MGT was like kind of struggling to optimize various applications. And then we figured out how to fix it. But that was after MGT was merged. So I think people almost never use MGT in production in my opinion. Can you
2: say what it was about Rails? Because I remember finding that interesting when I learned about it.
0: Yeah, that was also interesting for me because I've been like doing that for years. So the reason why it was slower on Rails was that it uses a sync compiler and using a sync compiler means that you're going to generate one object for one compilation unit, which is usually a one method. So like if you do that and then dynamically load that using like C library, it's going to be a one memory page per one method. On the other hand, mm-hmm. if you build JIT compiler naturally, one well, memory page has a lot of methods. So like more compact and single cache could have a multiple methods. But on the other hand, MGIT can only fit a single method in a single cache. So like it's very memory cache inefficient. So Rails Bench uses a lot of methods. So if you call so many methods across various frameworks like Active Record and ActiveSupport and so on, it's going to cost a lot of cash inefficiency so like wells is very like method call intensive you need to call various method calls type on the other hand off was very much intensive in a very specific a very few set of methods there's a method to render pixel to render the screen and also another method to move the clock and most of the time you call the, in the pixel move the clock, move the pixel, move the clock. And that do, if you are good at optimizing those two methods, you're going to be good at optimizing OptiCaret as a benchmark. So that was kind of easy because that's going to be still two memory pages for MJIT. So it's not hard, but for Rails Bench, it's going to be as many memory pages as the number of methods. So it was hard for MJIT to optimize those kind of workloads. So with MJIT being benchmarked against OptiCaret, what kind of improvements did you see in running optcaret with jit So, optCaret was also instance variable intensive benchmark. So, in the vendor pixel method, you read a lot of instance variable to calculate the next pixel, and then you then store that. It's also integer calculation intensive. Obviously, you have to calculate a lot of pixels. So, like if you are good at calculating the integers and reading and writing the instance variables, it's going to be fast. And the way MZ optimized it is that MZ is known for generating machine code by kind of copying the original virtual machine implementation into the generated code. But it's actually not that true, in the sense that for things that we want to optimize, we can rewrite the whole implementation and generate a specific C code that's faster than the virtual machine. It's kind of important because... If you don't do that, then you are kind of copying the interpreter implementation to JIT code, which almost in many cases, it doesn't really make things faster. So we focus on things that matter, such as instance variables in this case. So for instance variables, we do things like instead of reading the memory to calculate the index for accessing the instance variable, we kind of cache the index of the instance variable and in the JIT code. So like... Instead of reading the memory, you can directly write this in this instance variable in index one. So we are going to just read the index one instead of reading the memory to check it. So that way you remove a lot of memory indirect operations from the instance variable access that way it was still faster than the interpreter in the object benchmark.
3: So you kind of already mentioned YJIT and that was also big news in the Ruby community when work on that started. And you're at Shopify on the Ruby infrastructure team. Were you already at Shopify when YJIT started kind of being birthed?
0: When YJIT was built, I was not in Shopify at that moment. I joined Shopify last year when Ruby 3.2 was being developed. So Shopify started to develop YJIT in Ruby 3.1. And so that was released as part of 3.1, but I was not there. So like, I was in a position to kind of compete with their team by MJIT. So like at the almost the same time, I learned how to optimize Rails bench by changing how MJT code generates code. So as I said, the memory page inefficiency was tied to how MJT compiles methods into C. So that thing I did was compile the whole set of methods in a single C file and then compile that into a single object and then load it. So that's how you could be loading multiple methods in the single memory page or multiple memory pages together. By doing so, to also successfully optimize RailsBench by something like 5%. At that moment, I learned that how the memory layout is important. You must be loading all methods at the same time instead of generating methods one by one. So it kind of makes the compile development hard. Also, if you compile the whole thing, it takes a lot of time to do the warm up. It actually takes minutes to compile the whole set of methods. So it's really not usable, even if you could optimize real Bench, And then also, even if we worked hard on optimizing very important pieces, the speed up was only 5%. And part of the reason why I thought that was slow is because you cannot modify the machine code afterwards. So C compiler or C language itself doesn't really allow you to modify or monkey patch particular part of the C code, obviously. You cannot, for example, change things after a method is redefined. That's what it is doing all the time. So like, if you are generating machine code directly instead of using a sync compiler, you could do many more optimization on top of that. So I wanted to switch to writing assembly instead of C code because that <laughs> prevents you from doing a lot of optimizations. So I want to do a instead of Mzit, or at least I want to generate machine code. So that's why I wanted to join Shopify to develop budget. And then I joined Shopify in the next year, stay so to develop I
1: just want to take a second to thank our sponsor, Honey Badger. Monitoring like web development can be complicated. There are tons of tools and techniques, but you just want to know that your app is up and your customers are happy. When your customers encounter a problem, you need clear, actionable intelligence, not walls of charts and reams of logs to tail. That's why they built HoneyBadger, the monitoring tool we've always wanted. A tool that's there when you need it and gets out of your way when you don't, so you can keep shipping. Note when critical errors occur and which customers are affected, respond instantly when your systems go down, improve the health of your systems over time, and fix problems before your customers can report them. I know from personal experience, I've fixed bugs when they've shown up in HoneyBadger and then emailed the customer to let them know, hey, I think I saw you get a 500 error. I've fixed it, and I just wanted to let you know you can try again. And it blows those customers' minds to see that they didn't even have a chance to report the bug to you. It's wild. They love it. HoneyBadger is the application health monitoring tool built for you, the developer who cares about a quality product and happy customers. Start monitoring today at HoneyBadger.io. It's free for small teams, and setup takes as little as five minutes. Once again, that's HoneyBadger.io.
3: Okay, so Shopify, you're working on YJIT. What are some of the differences that YJIT has taken from MJIT, and what are some of the benefits that come from those different approaches? So,
0: as I mentioned, YJIT is directly generated in machine code using their own assembler. They wrote their assembler in C, and then they're ported to Rust afterwards. And the reason why it's important is because if you were writing the C code, you cannot modify the C code and then assembler could be patched by reading this. So MGT is also actually generating machine code, but the problem is you don't know which part of the machine code generated by C code is related to which part. So if you were able to know which part of the generated machine code is related to this C code, you could achieve a similar kind of optimization, but in reality, there is no such Z compiler. So you kind of have to generate a machine code so that you take the full control of the position of the code and also the layout. It's kind of related to the Ruby 3.2 feature, which is the code GC also the ARM64 support. We changed how the code is organized in the memory layout. So in 3.1, the layout was something like we put half of this code into the first section and the other section is going to be code that is not often used. So that way, the first section is going to be on the cache a lot of times. And then the other part, which is not going to be used often, is going to be out of the cache. So if you have the full control over the memory layout, you can control how cache is going to be performing efficiently. On the other hand, MZ is using C compiler. So C compiler decides whatever they want to do. So we don't have full control over how cache is going to behave in the MJIT. So YGIT has multiple advantages over MJIT. Obviously, one is that, as I mentioned, memory cache efficiency, and also a code patching is also available. You can know the positions and so rewrite the thing when method is redefined, for example. And lastly, I think because it's lazy, so the architecture is very much different between MJIT and YGIT. So MG takes up one method and then compile it and then it's rolled it into interpret and then executes, reasoning the execution. On the other hand, what Wogit does is Wagit breaks up a single method into multiple blocks, which we call basic block. Basic block doesn't contain a branch. Like if you have a if statement, then the blocks, the instructions before the if and instructions after if is going to be split. That way you break up a single method into multiple blocks and then you lazily compile each work one at a time. So when widget starts execution, widget generates a stuff that is a callback to the compiler. So you put a callback to the compiler in the position of the method. And then when interpreter executes, it callbacks the compiler to generate that single block. And then when it reaches branching section, it again puts the compiler callback again and again. And then it, it reaches the execution. So that way, widget lazily compiles stuff. Only things that are actually executed by that application. Let's say there's a, if something which doesn't hold for that Rails application, it's not going to be compiled. So that way you're also going to have much compact layout, which is more cache efficient to the actual production applications. So like it's also compilations much faster because you don't need to compile unimportant things, and because you don't go through parsing C language and compiling C function and organizing that, it's also going to be much faster generating code. So the third benefit of Widget over MZ was faster compilation and faster warm up, and it very much helps Shopify because we deploy applications like every twenty minutes or so. So like. You started very fast, and it needs to be a very good at warm up because you deploy that so often. So that's how YJIT is useful, I think.
3: And with YJIT, it does benefit Rails apps. I mean, obviously, Shopify is yeah. many Rails apps. So it makes sense. What kind of performance benefits, gains
0: do you see using YJIT? In benchmarks, we were seeing something like 50% speed up in Rails Bench. But in production, it's not that easy. <laughs> like in RailsBenz, you can see everything and profile everything, and optimize everything. But in production, we need to kind of instrument the production behavior and not profile, but kind of guess what is going on. And so we could optimize right towards our production application and make it faster. But the performance was something like, as of 3.2, that was something like 10% faster in the main storefront rendering application. And then today, I think it's gone up to something like 16 or 18% in on average, faster than the wow. integrator. That's amazing.
3: When you were talking about how when you can benchmark against Rails bench and it's 50%, and then you said then you've got to like deal with Rails apps. All I can think of is yeah, then you have to like try and figure out how to optimize all the terrible code that Andrew and I write in our Rails apps. And that's when the real work starts. Yep. So that's pretty cool. And now I want to circle back to something you said earlier, which was I want to avoid C and just go straight to assembly, which is something I don't hear a lot about. So not something you're doing with YJIT, of course, YJIT, you mentioned written in Rust. So that paves the way for, I think, us to talk about RJIT. And I would like to hear more about
0: your work on that. The th- moment when I started working on Argit was the last December. So MJIT was still in a very active development by myself. Like I introduced batch compilation for making over much faster. And also last year I reloaded image compiler in Ruby. So a lot of things were going on. But when I worked on that very hard, I realized, well, it's still not going to be good at like progression workloads because you cannot rewrite C compile and C, f- C code afterwards. So like to do things like WyJet you have to be actually generating that machine code directly. So I wanted to change the architecture so that it's not going to suffer from that blocker. So I kind of secretly started working our Alget in, in the last December. And then I kept going on for like three months and then kind of popped up on the Ruby developers meeting and said, well, I want to replace MGT with this thing because this makes things simpler and makes it faster. So that's how I developed and merged RGT into Ruby. There's actually other motivations to do that. So one is because of how MJIT works, you have to export every single C function that's used by MJIT. And export means other third-party developers could also use that from the C extension gems. So it's not really good in the sense that you have to expose implementation details and you have the risks of needing to maintain the backward compatibility in those interfaces. So we didn't want to export those internal symbols. And at the same time, the way image works is you put uh, a lot of sequels from the virtual machine implementation into a single C file header, and then you compile the method into using that header. And the header needs to do a lot of weird stuff, like if this is defined, we are going to ignore this section, and if depth is everywhere in the Ruby virtual machine code because of how image works. And once YG came out, Nobody really cares about that if they branches. So we wanted to remove those complexity from the implementation. So if the same JIT compiler were rewritten in something like YJIT, then we are not going to need MJIT specific, uh, those implementation complexities. So by removing MJIT and putting something like YJIT, you need only something that's needed on, for YJIT. So the new JIT compiler, RJIT, is reusing what's used by YJIT, something like Internal C functions that's not exported by symbols, but still that could be used if you are in the same interpreter. So it needs to use exported symbols because that's loading the C code dynamically. But if you are not dynamically linking, but simply statically linking that as a, like inter part of the interpreter, then you can use that without exported C functions. So that way I propose how it was. If you remove MJIT and then introduce this RJIT, you are going to make the virtual simulation much simpler. So we want to have this for maintainability, And ultimately, this could also help MJIT because by imaging those Mjit-related complexity, you could kind of reorganize the architecture towards MJIT and make MJIT faster. And indeed, I actually did that last year and make it much faster for MJIT. And the other motivation was, because I rewrote in Ruby last year, it kind of opened up a secret backdoor for multi-patching JIT compiler. From 3.2, you could multi-patch the JIT compiler to replace that with your own JIT compiler. And people actually started using that. There's Aaron Patterson and Joe Horson. Both of them wrote their own JIT compiler and then plugged their JIT compiler into that JIT interface. So I kind of didn't want to take out their fun out of that project, so like, I wanted to have somewhere that could be monkey patched by those JIT compilers. So by keeping RJIT, we can still continue to experiment with those JIT, original JIT compilers. So like there's there for their backdoor and experiment with. So like both John Hawthorne and Aaron Patterson also contributed to YJIT. So they can learn from the original JIT compiler, development experience, then contribute back to YJIT. And that's same for me. The purpose of RJIT is not to compete with YJIT, but because my primary focus or main motivation is to make YJIT the best JIT compiler. I want to just learn from our experience and then contribute it the back to YJIT. In fact, when our was released, it was faster than YJIT in optical benchmark, but then I was already aware of why our is faster than YJIT. So I then contributed the benefit back to YJIT this week. And so now YJIT is actually faster than our in Obscure. That's awesome.
3: So our in a way now, kind of serves as like a testing ground. Yes. So like experiment exactly. w- with different JIT compiling techniques. And yep. then, then they get, in a way, moved into YJIT, which it sounds like, I'm kind of reading and even hearing you talk today, it sounds like YJIT is the JIT compiler
0: you want to yes. use yep. in yep. your real world mm-hmm. Ruby apps. There's a reason for that. So writing JIT in Ruby is so much fun, designizing that in Rust. But the problem is, if you write JIT compiler in Ruby, you have to generate a lot of objects on memory, and then GC suffers from marking those objects and sweeping those instructions, objects. So even if you don't want the application to be impacted by the JIT compiler, the application shares the same garbage collector. So... If you compile methods, then you debug out of the raw objects on the memory, and then they cannot be cleaned up. So actually, even if the widget and object generate the same code, objects can often be slightly slower than widget because garbage collection time increases a lot slightly. And another thing is, Rust is obviously faster than Ruby still. So if there are just comparisons in Ruby, warm up is also slower. So for environments like Shopify, we want to warm up the application very fast. And the storefront render is very performance intensive. So we want that to keep being faster. So Rust can quickly compile methods and make that production performance faster. But ours is slightly slower at compiling the Ruby methods. And then, so it's not less like suitable for production performance. Still, it's kind of useful for experimental purposes because once you are done with the compilation, the peak time performance is kind of comparable because after the compilation is done, you are going to just execute the machine code generated by Ruby code. So at that moment, the Ruby performance, the interpreter performance doesn't matter because you are just executing the machine code. That's not really related to Ruby code anymore. So the primary use case of RDT is just benchmark. Like widget think is the like primary place that RDT is going to be used. And the other thing is because RGT is going to allocate more memory. Like Memory usage is also important in production. We use a lot of memory in the storefront renderer because we have to load a lot of users' templates and then render that. So it uses a lot of memory, but we don't want to use the size of the free memory from the application by using that by Ruby objects. So if you write Rust, you can control the size of the object you're going to consume on the memory, but Ruby objects, on the other hand, is less controllable. So memory is also rest optimizing RJIT. So, like, the only thing that RJIT can compete with YJIT is just a peak performance and other things like warm up speed and memory footprint and also GC overhead is going to be worse in RJIT. So, definitely YJIT is going to be the JIT compiler you should use in production. I asked you this before the show and you gave a really interesting answer,
2: but I asked you what your experience had been like with Rust. How do you feel about it? So,
0: I have mixed feelings. One is, it has a very good editor support. I use both VS Code and Neo but those have both great support by Rust analyzer It's great that you can just rename the symbol and every file related to that is can be changed safely. And if you reorder that want to reorder the arguments, it's kind of easily done. But in our development experience, when I reorder that, I learned that very after merging that by flaky test failure. So those kind of comfort or stability in the development experience much better in Rust. On the other hand, when it comes to writing Rust, there are a lot of kind of challenges. For example, you have to write a lot of chests when you use integer operations. So you have various kinds of integers compared to Ruby. Ruby has only float and integer because them is kind of combined into if you and later before. But Rust, on the other hand, have various types. Depending on the size of the integer, the number of bits you are going to maintain, it's going to be like i8 times 8 bit and u8 and i16, u16, and you actually want to use all of them. So like, if you want to maintain the minimal memory overhead, what you would like to do, you have to use all of them and kind of cast that all the time. Rust wants to be very strict about those types. So if you don't say this type is going to be this thing, they don't allow or they don't compile that for you on for your behalf. So you have to say this was i8, but at this moment we want to use that as u6, and you want to say true as u8, and then end parentheses end, and then uh, as u size, and that kind of code is everywhere. So that is making it's called kind of agree, in my opinion, and the other thing is, one of the biggest difficulties in writing Rust is that move semantics. So with move semantics, you have to keep the one reference to one thing unique to that place. And then every other thing needs to be either borrow or mute borrow. And a mute borrow can be done only by one place. So by doing that semantics, there's only a single place that could modify that object. But if you like, write programming program in Ruby, You don't need to fight that kind of stuff. And so you could naturally write some logic and still share the object. But because if it's not multi-threaded, you don't need to really worry about data race or multiple things writing to the same thing at once. You are kind of need to fight the problem that doesn't exist in Rust. And when you start using a complex type state, RC, which is a reference candidate object, you can also borrow from the multiple places, but the error is going to be runtime failure, even if you are writing Rust. So you are writing Rust for safety. But at the same time, if you start using that kind of types, it's going to be just a runtime failure, which is no different from other languages. So like you have to kind of be very careful about how you write code. For example, you cannot do things like receiver and return object is going to be the same object because that's a shared, but. Ruby could do that kind of thing all the time. So if you are too used to writing that kind of pattern in Ruby, then you will have some problems writing Rust because that's not possible. So lastly, another thing is we are integrating Rust code into C code because interpreters is written in C and widgets is in Rust. But integration between C and Rust is kind of awkward because you have to always say it's unsafe. Unsafe brace or something. Unsafe, unsafe. So unsafe is everywhere and In the standard Rust convention, you have to say slash Rust safety colon something whenever you use safety. So safety and and unsafe is kind of everywhere if you integrate Rust code into C. And there's also awkwardness in the integration because you cannot share the same struct with C code because Rust cannot understand C code. So like if you want to touch or operate on C structs, You have to prepare a C function that's specifically accessing the C structs field. So like, why is it called is something like get some field parentheses and uh, this function kind of functions are everywhere. On the other hand, on RGIT, because we could generate something that interacts with C better than RAS bindgen, you can do something like method chain, like something dot something dot something. So. Ruby code is much cleaner because of how we integrate Rust into C code. So you could have nice Rust experience if you are only writing Rust and rewrite every single C code into Rust, but Matt doesn't want to rewrite everything in Rust. So we are kind of stuck with this unsafe and safety and also like weird C struct access situation. I feel a lot better about that
2: code I showed you, Jason, where I was like, this is some janky code or... Looks a little weird is what I think I said to you. I'm like, maybe it doesn't look that weird. Still Ruby. Still Ruby. Any kind of
3: exciting things coming in the JIT world you want to share with us? Sure.
0: In VyJIT, I'm working on a kind of big project that is a digital location. So even in that Ruby 3.2 or 3.1, yeah, 3.2 actually, there was a digital allocator. So register is part of the CPU that's faster than using memory. So If you are using a compiled language like C, compiler is going to assign registers to some operations you are doing automatically on your VR. But Ruby, on the other hand, uses memory by default because it's built as a virtual machine and C compiler doesn't know how to deal with virtual machine operations. So everything needs to be able to circulate away as a memory on the heap. So why this is kind of incrementally developed so we are using memory by default for most of the things, but we are slowly adapting registers for those operations. And that makes the language so much faster because every faster language uses registers for a lot of operations. That's why they are faster than languages that are mostly working on memory. So the reason why Ruby used to be slow is because they are using memory most of the time, but we want to shift towards using registers. So there was a race allocator for Ruby 3.2 that is to... Use the register for cross instruction operations, such as if you put have a, as the example said before was like put object plus return. So put object puts something on the stack. So when something like plus operation returns something, we can write that to the register and then use that and to return that, write that back to memory. But for the intermediate temporary values, we were able to use registers for those kind of operations. That's how Ruby 3.2 widget worked. But in 3.3, we want to expand that towards something like Ruby local variables. So Ruby local variables is still on memory for Ruby 3.2 widget. But for 3.3, we want to use registers for Ruby local variables. You should be using local variables a lot in writing Ruby calls. So every Ruby local variable access could be faster if you have a register to those things. It's not that simple because there's a method like binding local variable okay. So like if you just keep everything in register, then it's going to break. So we have to be careful about how to escape those kind of things from the register. But by kind of dealing with that complexity, we are slowly shifting towards using registers in those areas. And I'm kind of focusing on that in my product these days. So like... Ruby 3.3 is going to have this navigator for those things. And I already merged one thing that's data navigator to the virtual machine stack. So put object pushes something to stack. And in 3.3, it's going to be written to register. So it's not going to be slower by using memory. So that's how Ruby 3.3 widget is going to be significantly faster than
2: 3.2.
0: Does ERB
2: get any benefit to the work in widget or the stuff that's happening in widget? Kind of. So
0: like these days, I'm not touching ERB at all, but like why uh, did optimize these string compilations by introducing a very special optimization towards string compilation methods? So it does a lot of operations on the intermediate variables and then also do a lot of stack manipulation as well. So for those stack manipulation, the register allocator for the stack operands is going to replace the oper- operands is from the memory to registers. So there are, think like, ERV operations is going to be faster as well by those Ruby optimizations. If you had to
2: pick a template language, if I was like, hey, I need you to write an app, framework agnostic,
0: what template language are you using? I'm still using Haml. Like, I maintain RubyBench website that is benchmarks multiple Jitter optimizations, which is uh, rubybench.github.io, and it uses Haml because I love using Haml.
2: Yeah, I love it too. You have a Haml package. I don't remember what it's called specifically, but it was like a faster Haml, right?
0: So that's called Hamlet. Hamlet is a template engine that I authored and maintained. And when that was released, that was seven times faster. And the most important thing of that was like, it was slightly faster than Slim as well. People were kind of moving from Haml to Slim because that's faster. But now you have to move from Slim to Haml because that was faster. And then last year, Haml 6 released and Haml 6 was kind of copying. So I'm also a maintainer of the Haml. And then from the Haml 5 release, I joined the maintenance of Haml. And then I kind of replaced a part of the Haml compiler. And then it became like five times faster than the original Haml 4. And then in Haml 6, what we did was when the author came and said, well, we should just replace the implementation with (laughs) Haml. So like we copied the Hamlet implementation into Hamlet 6, and then we just renamed the Hamlet to Hamlet, and then that's how Hamlet 6 works. So it's just
2: Hamlet today. That's awesome. You've mentioned that you maintain all these libraries, you're working on YGJ Shopify, and then you're coming home to write assembly code. How do you have time for all of this?
0: <laughs> I'm kind of juggling project towards a particular time place, So if you look at the uh, Hamlet Pussy, I'm not that active these days, but... When I find critical problems, I just come to and merge that. So like my focus is kind of shifted sometimes. And so like right now I'm focusing on Arjit. But prior to that, I was like focusing on the Hamo replacement project. So I actually maintain a lot of other things as well. So like I need to kind of move and then jump in when it's important. Hamo 6 was that important when that was, could be replaced like, by that
2: when, because of that was it. I feel like there's a lot of wisdom in that, that you said so simply. I feel like I could learn from that. Well, thank you for all your work on
3: Yeah, Ruby for real. And the projects you have going in the community, like Hamel, things like that. Yeah, just really appreciate that type of work and excited to see the work y'all continue to do. Where can people who want to interact or
0: find you online, where can they go? So I'm kind of active on Twitter, twitter.com/slash. K zero kubun and uh, that's co with all replaced with zero. And I'm also on Mastodon, but I'm less active. But you can still follow me on there. And I'm also on the GitHub in the same ID. And maybe you could inject with me if you want to talk about the GitHub safety so project. Then you could just file an issue, and then I almost always monitor that GitHub notification. So you can talk to me in either Twitter or GitHub depending on the subject. Awesome.
3: Will you be at Ruby or RailsConf this year? I'm
0: not going to be on those conferences because I have a two-year-old kid, and my wife uh, is going to be angry if I leave her. <laughs> so the only thing Understood. I can do is I can go to Ruby Kagi because my hometown is in Japan, and so if we go there, her parents can help her. So like, we can uh, go together yes. and do that. So the only conference I can go is today is just Japanese conference. So this
3: is- hey, that's cool though. Ruby Kagi is my bucket
2: list conference. Yeah, same. I've always wanted to go. Well, I'm very appreciative of your
3: time today and your knowledge. It's been fun to chat with you, and hope we get to do this
1: in the future soon. Bye, everyone.